cliffcentral.com Welcome to The Bounce Show with me, Ben Karpinski, on the 9th of November edition. Yep, that's it. Into November, we plunge ahead, and that means that the end-of-year rugby tour is finally here. Pretty exciting, the Bok fans out there, me included. Well, the last match went really well against All Blacks. I say really well because it was close, and uh, close right now is a bit of a win, all things considered. So the Box kick off their end-of-year tour this weekend against Ireland. That'll be 7.30 South African time. They're taking on what Alistair Kutsia refers to as the All Blacks of the Northern Hemisphere. Strange quote. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what he said. I mean, I've heard that from various people, so I'm going to go with that. Ireland is the toughest game the box will have on this overseas tour. Outside of that, they take on the French, who they easily beat earlier in this year, though no doubt the French will be a much tougher prospect in France. They also take on Italy, which should be a foregone conclusion when you think about it. Yet last year, Italy beat the Springboks. Trying to revisit that thought it is quite a queasy one. And then finally, on my birthday, they'll be playing Wales. Yes, my birthday is 2nd of December. Just a subtle hint there. Wales will be the last match. So there's four matches that are very doable. There's no England this time round. There's no Scotland. But I still don't understand why England are playing such weak teams end of year. I mean, they've got Samoa. They've got Argentina. They do play Australia. But why are they not playing the All Blacks or South Africa? I think it's got to do with money. Uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know. But I just find it very strange because this end of year season, the end of year tour, actually looks a little bit flat, really. But... We're going to chat to Zelim Nell from All Out Rugby. He's one of my favorite rugby guests, and uh, he'll no doubt have a bit of a better slant on this whole rugby thing. Let's not doom and gloom it up. It's still a great tour. There's still so much for the box to achieve here, and so much to prove as well, considering last year it was such a dreadful tour. And again, you know, with each kind of opportunity to play a team and find combinations, Alice Kutsia is, of course, moving closer to that Rugby World Cup. And as terrible as 2016 is, that game against the All Blacks has restored a lot of confidence, a lot of optimism with the fans. So it is a big deal. I tell you what's also a big deal in rugby right now is all this bitching and moaning around that uh, rugby 2023 bid. It seems like Ireland are getting rather kind of messy with it. And they want to now like probe the whole investigation as to why South Africa's negativity wasn't well. South, Africa, South Africa's poor aspects like crime and corruption and all these different things around safety. Like, why weren't they probed? Uh, which is a fair point. And uh, I've spoken about it at length that if if South Africa does not get this 2023 World Cup, it's got to do with these dreadful criminals that run this country. Yes, I'm talking about the ANC and the powers that be there. Um, you know, it's a fair concern. And as much as I don't want to hear Ireland bitching about stuff, seeing as they did kind of finish third in that whole preferred uh, candidate thing, which has already been announced, they do have a fair point. And uh, it is going to be sour grapes, no doubt. Either way, that kind of stuff it kind of adds a lot more spice to this test match that is happening on Saturday. November the 15th, if you are wondering, that's when it will take place. The actual confirmation if South Africa will get the 2023 bid will actually be the hosts or not. So some tough times between now and then. It would be really great if the prime number one gangster, the president, Jacob Zuma, could maybe not create so much well, drama. But hey, I guess uh, the book, The President's Keepers, is doing all that for him. Uh, enough about politics. Saddest thing in the world. Also, a big week for Bafana Bafana. They get a chance to try and make the FIFA World Cup, which is next year, 2018, in Russia. Now, when I say try and make it, they've got two huge back-to-back games against Senegal. They basically have to win both. So the first will be taking place in South Africa on Friday. And, uh, well, there's no point looking past that because if they don't get a win, 
then that's it really. There's no chance, not even a mathematical one. So that's a huge week for them. And of course, massive, massive week for golf. It is the Nedbank Golf Challenge hosted by Gary Player at the Gary Player Country Club in Sun City. It is the biggest golf event of the year in Africa. And it's a per- firm favorite of mine. The event itself is the exact same age as me. It was born on the first weekend of December 1981. That's two birthday references. You can kind of see I'm getting <laughs> excited about the end of the year coming around. So that's something to look forward to. It really is a huge week in that respect. And even though Henrik Stenson had to pull out because of an injury, which I've already been, I've gone into far too much in, on recent mornings in the Gareth Cliff show. It is still a decent field. There's nine South Africans playing. Gary Player himself obviously will be there. Uh, in case you're wondering, he's not playing. He, he could. You know, obviously he could and he'll do well. He made the cut, no doubt. He is the tournament host. So lots to look forward to. It is summer in SA. It is a beautiful place. Lots going on. But let's get into my chat with Zellum Nell. And, uh, just a little disclaimer. I did have some issues with, uh, with the tech. This does happen from time to time when I try to pre-record some interviews. Because it's, it's not often that I can actually get someone who can sit down at a time when the podcast goes out live here on Cliff Central. Uh, I sometimes also about to get myself to be here live at this time when it goes out live. So bear with me. There are some technical glitches, but here is Zellum Nell from All Out Rugby where I pick his brain about the end of your tour and a couple of other things pertaining to rugby. All right, we've got Zellum Nell. He's back from All Out Rugby. I know uh, we chatted to him, I think it was about a couple of months now. I know time flies in this whole podcast world. Zellum, thanks so much for joining us again. Really looking forward to what you've got to say about this end of year tour. Good to be here, Ben. So let's just cut straight to it. Are the box going to beat Ireland this weekend? <laughs> wow. Uh, sure. It's difficult to say because, um, you know, as much as you try and keep tabs on Northern Hemisphere rugby, um, the, the, the sort of difference in the global calendar, um, you know, the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere calendar, makes it really difficult to keep measuring up the two teams. Uh, if you don't ask me this last year at this time, I would have said absolutely Ireland were going to win. Um, but now, you know, the box sort of ran the All Blacks close. Um, I've been watching a bit of Pro 14, and I mean, the Irish sides are stronger than the South African sides, but nobody in there really blows my hair back. Um, it's difficult to say. Alice has talked about Ireland being the All Blacks of Europe. I think he might be talking them up. I, I wouldn't be um, absolutely shocked if South Africa beat Ireland, uh, just because we are on the up. We have got some momentum from, from that last rugby championship match. Um, if you look at the history, you know, in terms of South Africa in Ireland, we played there 15 times and won nine times. So even though the last time we were there, we lost 29-15, we do have a positive record in, in Ireland. Sure. Um, and, and certainly we have a reputation for playing physical rugby. And if, we, if, if that's the way we play, then we can definitely, we can definitely win this one. If we play direct like we did at Newlands, we can beat Ireland. So, so it's difficult for me to say yes, upright, but if I'm leaning one way or the other, probably yes, we're going to beat Ireland. Well, that's what I, I just feel like I, I, people have been asking me all week the same same question, and I'm not sure how, how much can we draw from that All Black match as to where this team currently is, or was that very much like a, okay, guys, we got clapped by these oaks last time, let's give everything we have and try and make a respectable result. You know, it, should, is it fair to say maybe we shouldn't look too much at the All Black result, more about the whole team, the, the whole team results in a sequence this year? Would that give us a more realistic idea? Yes, yeah, so Ben, if you're looking on form, then absolutely, you shouldn't just be looking at the match at Newlands and saying the box are back, we are contenders on the world stage again, and we almost beat the world champions, therefore we are number two in the world rankings. Agree 100%. 
with your sentiments there. I think what is encouraging for me out of that Newlands test is the way South Africa played, the tactics that they chose, um, and the the rewards that they got for doing that. So, so they were very physical and very confrontational and very direct. There was a lot of, of tactical kicking uh, and not a lot of offloading. And so, for me, that uh, you know, if you if you look at the numbers, if you want to talk money ball, that's the way to win rugby matches. You know, what people say they want to see in terms of the style and what actually wins matches are are two different things. So what I find encouraging is hopefully South Africa looked at the box, looked at the way they played, they saw the direct physical game, and they have finally unanimously decided that that's the way they're going to play going forward. Uh, forget about uh, bums on seats and all that talk about selling the product. Uh, if we're going to get back to playing test rugby, then we can also because we produce physical athletes in this country and other countries in the world. Yeah, see, this is why I wanted to chat to you because you're a big exponent about this. You're a very, you're a realist when it comes to Bok game plan. And this whole bums on seats rugby, I don't think it's anything that's going to ever grasp or catch on with our guys. But like, it's just so great to be able to see them go to play Northern Hemisphere rugby, kind of get back to basics. But do you think that this, this tour we're about to see now with these four matches is, as you could see, his chance to say, right, what's happened, what's happened, that's all in the past. This is now a great springboard for 2018. And we're going to be playing a lot more direct. Do you think it's going to really stick, or is it very much he's going to try a few things now and then maybe in 2018 start afresh again as to how this team is going to go? Uh, that's a big question, Ben. That's a, again really difficult to pinpoint. I would say that Alistair is always going to have this, this sort of the ghost of the worst season in Bok history and the worst defeat in Bok history hanging over him, just like Haneke is probably going to always have an asterisk next to his name about the you know for the loss against Japan. So. So in terms of playing style and, and the way that Alice is going to go forward, uh, it really is almost impossible to predict with him because I, I covered the Stormers in Western Province for the better part of seven years. Uh, and they had the, their greatest period of success under Rossi playing a very um, a very tactically proficient style of play that maybe wasn't the, the most electric style of play they could have tried. Um, and, they, and, you know, they went to back-to-back playoffs. Uh, they, they went from nobody to, to real contenders. Alistair came in in 2012 took that to a whole nother level where they almost didn't pass the ball. They topped the league phase in 2012, went to a home semi-final and famously lost that. Uh, and the next year, he flip-flopped and went the complete opposite direction, tried to sort of reinvent the Stormers as a, as a sexy rugby team and throw the ball around. And the results speak for themselves. They lost half their games, mm. fell off the radar as a contender, um, and only now starting to recover. So his history suggests that maybe he isn't as strong on uh, sticking to tactics that work, uh, and, he, and he maybe has a propensity to get sidetracked by the demands of his job from various stakeholders. So it, I don't think there's any more of a pressure cooker than the Springbok job. Sure. And if there was ever that somebody was going to get just, you know, pulled off their path, I think probably at the Springbok level that's where it's going to happen. So it wouldn't surprise me if Alistair went from uh, winning games against the All Blacks playing very direct to losing against Italy throwing the ball around. It seems like that's <laughs> that's part of his portfolio. So, um, Zellin, with the tour going forward, uh, just so we don't think too much about back-to-back losses to Italy, which is already making me shiver, how different do you think this team is going to be from the Ireland match onwards, considering the one against the All Blacks felt really good? I know it can't be identical. I mean, Jan Serfentain's not going to be there. Obviously, Kourtney Ustazen's back in the mix. From from your standpoint, what do you reckon like the best Bok team could be right now, especially when you consider the fact that the Beast will probably come back for Kitsov and then the whole... Polo Janchi's axis. I mean, there's a couple of talking points in here. Yeah, so Ben, um, if the box are out to win, which I think Alistair probably will be, if they're out to win uh, as many matches as possible on this tour, with 2019 being a sort of secondary objective, I think you're going to see a return of the more experienced players, the guys that have got more games under their belt under 
but I, I, the, the real the real issue for me is finding solutions to 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 varying deficiencies in this box squad. We've got a real issue at Stromoff. We spoke about it the last time I was on the show. Yeah, so, you know, it's between uh, Ross Grenier, Rudy Page, and Louis Schroeder. And, and that's where we're at uh, with two end-of-year tours to go before the, before the next World Cup. So, obviously, a guy like Damien Dialendi is going to start at 12 in place of Jan Safentain. We, we'll probably see a bit of Andre Pollard at 10. Uh, but I think Alice is going to stick pretty much with what he's done in the past and uh, some wins and take some, take some pressure off. Sure. And then someone like Peter Sertitoy, obviously, against the All Blacks, he played out of his skin. He was like a man possessed. He really was a dog after a bone for 80 minutes there. Now, do you think that Alistair now thinks that, well, set pieces are really important, especially on the Northern Hemisphere? This is my number seven going forward. Yeah, well, I think he ticks both boxes there. So Peter Steftatoy is obviously a lock by trade, uh, but we're a country that produces more locks, world-class locks, than anybody else. I mean, you, you, you can rattle off eight names of guys who could be playing for the Springboks. So for me, instead of instead of having a, a mini loose forward who fancies himself as a bit of a center but wants to play in the, in the forward pack, instead of doing that... If we've got eight world-class locks, let's let's put all of these guys, um, or as many of them as we can, onto the field and try and get value. You know, try and ch- shape our tactics to get as much value from that as possible. So, with Peter Steftatoy, blindside flank, you know, maybe he's not as good on the ground as somebody a, a, a little bit closer to it, but he definitely has value at the lineup in terms of contesting and in terms of attacking ball. He's a big body. He's a massive athlete for a guy who's two meters tall. Um, and I, you know, I think it's a great move. I think he will stick with him at seven. Um, and it gives you the opportunity to potentially have Lubert, Irvin, and Peter Steff the tour field at the same time. Uh, I can't think of a country who wouldn't who wouldn't be. So, are you, is that like a subtle dig towards the fact that you don't think that Quaker Smith should ever be a Springbok? <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's a no-brainer. Rugby. If we were if we were talking about chess, and I said that you should pick a guy on your team in chess who's at least two meters tall. Because size has got absolutely no influence on a chess game. It's all about brains, and it would be impossible for you to argue against. And in rugby, it's quite obvious. I mean, 80% of, of, of ball carries end in a contact. So, you know, four out of five times when you're running with the ball, there's going to be a collision. And it's like simple science, basically, that if you're lighter than the guy who's colliding with you, you're generally going to lose that collision. So, so I'm not saying I'm not saying that the starting point is a player must be X size. I'm not saying that at all. I am saying though that a team, if you look at the All Blacks, the ones that came back from 17-5 to thump Quachismith's Barbarians on the weekend. Those guys had, uh, you know, a, a, their scrum off was taller and heavier than Quachismith. Um, it's, not, it's not a coincidence that the All Blacks picked big players. And saying, yeah, but Lindsay uh, is, is, is naming the exception to the rule. So can, could Quachismith be a springbok in a side that had Bucky's Victor, Skulk Berger, Dwayne Vermeer, and, and, and all the biggest players we've ever had, plus a nine who weighs, you know, 95 kilograms and tackles like Ricky Janry? And Butch James at 10, absolutely there'd be a place like that. When <laughs> when sort of uh, 10, 10, 10 fifteenths of our team are, are lightweights, you can't afford to have Quacher at open side flank. It just doesn't make sense. You, you will lose the physical confrontation. Well, in that instance then, obviously, if it comes down to a, a coin flip or a close decision, then you'd always pick Pollard over Junchies then. So, I mean, it depends on the context of the team, Ben. You know, it's nice to have a guy at 10 that can tackle and that is physical and stands his channel. And Alton is obviously not that guy, but he brings different skills to the table. Yeah. So it just depends on the context of the whole side. It's not as simple as saying, to play fly half, you must weigh this amount. Yeah, I mean, like another another interesting dynamic I reckon that's worth discussing just is the centre pairing. This back line has shown that there's definitely some progress here. We definitely got the players. Much has been made about the back three. I'm not too concerned about that. 
What I'm worried about is having this sort of nucleus. So whatever flower we decide on, who is the center pairing going to be? There's no Jan Serfontaine who was like resurgent this year. He's not on this tour. Like you said, Dalili's going to fit in at 12. But then who is going to be the, the 13 in your mind that really should be given a go here and then obviously might stick around for 2018? Uh, look, I wrote about it today. Look, Kanye Aang for me should have been straight back in the squad for the rugby championship. I know he wasn't available earlier in the year, uh, but they made no use of him. Uh, in the rugby championship, and that's a guy who could definitely have added value. So, for, for me, I know Jesse Creel has got more experience, and uh, he's certainly sort of, uh, you know, he's played in the World Cup and he's been around a little bit longer. But Lacanio Am is an absolute limpet over the ball. He's a great player on defence. Um, he's, I mean, he's just a, for me, he's a phenomenal talent. And I would love to see him get more game time on this tour for sure. Yeah, and it's just one of those guys that you you look at and you think something great is going to happen. I mean, I still don't know if Jesse Creel's best position is 13. I feel like, yeah, it's not like he's plateaued as a player. His opportunities haven't been so great. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I speak on behalf of many along with you to think that Lukanya Am is definitely due a, a go here. Um, just, just finally on that back three, do you see any sort of changes there? That's because he's been quite loyal, I guess, with the players he's chosen there. But with the more sort of demanding kicking conditions, are we likely to see a Warwick Halant come into it? I, I, I mean, for me, the guy that needs to be put in at fullback is Kerwin Bosch because despite the fact that he's got some obvious defensive frailties, um, he's the next Percy Montgomery. The guy's got an amazing kicking boot, as a real tactical uh, weapon to the back three, changes exactly what uh, South Africa can do on defence and attack because of that. Um, and, you know, he could potentially change the face of, uh, of of South Africa's style of play and, and make them a much more difficult team tactically to, to pin in corners and to escape uh, pressure from. So, so, for me, I would really like to see Kerwin get game time there. I would probably never have picked Andres Kutsia. Alistair has... And, uh, and my, 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 uh, track record with him suggests he'll probably stick with him a little bit longer. Um, but I'd really like to see Kerwin get a go. Warrior Lunch is a guy who could definitely add value on the wing to start with, I think. A real, a real, real threat on, on kick return. Uh, and probably a good place to start off is on the wing. I mean, we've done that in the past where guys cut their teeth at test level in the wider channels with less responsibility. So sure. I, I might have a look at him there. But, but I think Alistair's probably going to stick with, with the status quo and, and maybe give these guys a little taste off the bench um, on this tour. I'll be surprised if he makes radical changes and, and really changes course and sticks with a guy like Owen at fullback. That would, that would surprise me. Alrighty, well, look, I'm quite confident this team can have the clean sweep. I mean, they're playing Wales, Italy, France, Ireland. Ireland, no doubt, the toughest match. But it's a it's a great confidence-boosting opportunity. One thing that does stick out, so I, mean, I know um, I need to let you go after this, but normally the end-of-year tour, it's quite exciting because at some stage you're going to go to Twickenham, and that's really, and it has been for years in the past, that's like the pinnacle of this tour. Now, the All Blacks aren't going to Twickenham, the Springboks aren't going to Twickenham, the Aussies get a match there. Like, what's going on with this whole schedule thing? Is it a money thing? Is, does England pick and choose who it wants on ticket sales? Because if that's the point, surely you want the two big traditional teams going there. Yeah, I wish I had an answer for you, Ben. I actually don't know what went into England's decision-making about those tours. I know, obviously, um, there's, there's quite a character angle to be to, to go play at Twickenham. Um, and I would have thought that Eddie would have wanted to test his guys out against some of the better opponents at this stage in the four-year cycle. So I'm also surprised they're going to be seeing um, some. Oh, they do play Australia, but I mean, I suppose Samoa, Argentina are not uh, are not really top billing. Um, it is a surprise. I, I, I definitely would have would have thought that Eddie would have wanted to do, to, to flex his muscles against uh, better teams and get answers on certain players with uh, with two years to go to World Cup. Yeah, 
Well, it is it is odd. I've heard conflicting stories. I thought maybe you'd be giving me give me something more down the line. Inside scoop. <laughs> yeah, yeah I don't have any answers for you, Ben. Sorry, I'm, I, I haven't uh, I haven't managed to burrow into the mind of E. Jones yet. Okay. Well, when you do, let me know. We have the first interview around that. So, then th- thanks so much for your time. I'm quietly confident this is going to be a good tour. I think our players maybe have more belief of what they need to be doing now. And um, like you say, if they get, just get the combinations right and pick tall guys. I, I really enjoy enjoy your take about Peter Tip to Toy. It's like chess and you're picking the right positions. Um, if I, actually, one last question. Why is it that you've got a NFL pick on your Twitter wallpaper? Like you're such a rugby man yeah. and there's Buffalo Bills. Like what's the connection there? Oh, I just love American football. I love the strategy. I love the, um, you know, football is all about winning. I really, I, 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 that resonates with me. I, I enjoy I enjoy American sports where it's, uh, it's, it, the bottom line is, did you win? Not about, you know, how did you play or did you enjoy yourself or did you express yourself? <laughs> um, you know, they don't care about that. If you run off the field and you've got less points on the board than the other guys, you're a loser and you have to live with it for at least one week. And I love that about, about the NFL. So, yeah, that, that's, that's the, that's the connection there. And I, and I feel like rugby can learn a lot. I mean, I wrote a, a column this week about it as well, you know. This this year is the 50th anniversary of the NFL miking up players for games. I mean, if you think back to whatever 50 years ago it was, let's say 1960 or 1965, uh, that they were miking up players for audio from games 50 years ago. Wow! And here we are in rugby 50 years later, still arguing about what constitutes a forward pass. Uh, it's just mind-boggling, <laughs> you know. I, I really think we've got a lot to learn, and, and the sooner we get on the on the learning trail, the better for all concerned. Yeah, that's funny. Cool, Zen. Thanks so much for your time. And uh, I really hope this is going to be a big buck tour. Maybe we can catch up at the end of it just to kind of look at the scorecard after that. Because all about the wins. All about the wins. <laughs> thanks a lot, man. Nice one, Ben. Sorry about all the technical issues, man. It's okay. It's unfortunately part of having a podcast where you try to use Skype. Typical. As I was moaning to him about Skype, we had this really great like <laughs> two-minute conversation at the end where everything was perfect, nothing cut out. Uh, yeah, so apologies again for the sort of up and down sound quality there. Also, it didn't help that, um, anyway, I'm just going to embarrass myself here by telling you that my microphone wasn't properly in, so it only came through one channel. But hey, we live and we learn. Just kind of hope to have you better at this by now. So we're going to stick with rugby because uh, next month, so early December, 12th of December, it is the Bright Rock Players' Choice Awards. Now, you may not have heard that sentence yet. Uh, there has been like a rugby awards here in SA where... Obviously, all the box uh, come together. All the big sort of performers and achievers for the year come together for an awards evening. Look, i got to say, it's been pretty drab. I went to a couple of them once live. It always felt like a bit of an Agoli Sko spell to me. And then there was like strange live acts. And it was pretty tired. So, Brightrock um, is a company that is involved. It's a needs-based insurance company. It's very much involved in rugby, doing things a little bit differently. And they're great supporters of rugby. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll find out, well, every month I write a few rugby articles for their, their sort of site. They've got this change exchange where they put together like really informative pieces by people in a variety of different backgrounds. How, anyway, I'm not going to get into that now, but they've basically partnered up with the My Players, uh, fund. I think it's the My Players fund. Basically, My Players is an organization that is, well, it's the official organization representing all professional rugby players in SA. So, they give them, you know, all kinds of sort of benefits and support and management to make sure that, you know, their life isn't just about rugby, is a lot more to that. And they always know that, say, something like image rights or whatever their sort of, you know, personal concerns are, they get the best sort of representation because it is 100% about 
the players, owned by the players. So it's a really good part of SA Rugby. So they've teamed up Bradrock and the Players' Choice Awards goes out. So there are 14 unions, as you know, in South African rugby. So basically the best of the best, so everything comes together for this one night in Johannesburg. Sanson Convention is in the 12th of December 2017. There are seven awards categories, um, and they're actually pretty interesting because, well, like I said, awards things, they're mostly hit and miss. And when I say mostly hit and miss, it's mostly on the side of boring. But this one is going to be quite interesting because firstly, there's a, there's a fans option here. So fans can get involved, which is very cool. So the fans choice category is basically, well, it's like your favorite player and why, you know, they should win and, if what, if you do vote for your player and they do win, 50,000 rand goes to a charity of the player's choice. Now every player has a celebrity partner to kind of, you know, raise awareness for this and kind of drive it home. So you've got, uh, Sio Kalisi, Hope for Women is his charity. Uh, Sibela Sanatla is the next candidate. The Kune Foundation is their, his charity. Kerwin Bosch, uh, Toy Story. Francois Fenter, the Free State Center, Lift of Venn Rugby Development, and then Courtnell Scorsan, uh, Door of Hope. So they all been attached by various celebrities. And it's a really cool kind of thing to do again, because money goes to charity. So you can get involved there. Now before I tell you how you get involved, here are the other categories, which I think are very, very cool. We've got Defender of the Year. That's pretty nice. And then we've got Forward Player of the Year, Backline Player of the Year, Best off the bench. Rugby is, of course, a 23-man game, so best off the bench. That's a nice category to honor. Then there's the Love Change Award for the most improved player over the past year. Uh, a true agent on his way up. Now, that's interesting because if you do look at, you know, there's various categories within SA Rugby performance-wise because a guy could do very well in Super Rugby, the Curry Cup, for the box, or in the case of uh, Cheetahs and Kings players, there's obviously the Pro 14. So that's a very interesting kind of uh, category. And then there's the Fans' Choice Award, as I just mentioned. And then there's the Players' Player of the Year, which is obviously the flagship award for the evening itself. So just to give you an understanding of who the Players' Player of the Year candidates are, we've got Sir Kalisi, Makazola Mpimpi, Roscoe Speckman, and Warren Whiteley. I'm kind of guessing Seacolese is going to do pretty well at these awards, just scanning my eye through the candidates. So that is happening on the 12th of December. Now, you can go to this event if you are in Johannesburg. So if you visit the myplayers.co.za webpage or if you go onto facebook.com forward slash players choice awards, you get all the details you possibly need. I shall be at this event. And if you do go to this event, you get the chance to obviously interact with the players. There will be signing sessions if you're into that kind of stuff. You can I don't know. Maybe there isn't. I'm making that up. But you get to interact with the players. Now, one thing I've always said about SA sports people is that they're very engaged and they're very forthcoming with their time. And Bright Rock do really great events. I was at one earlier this year, which was instead of just some sort of stiff gala dinner around tables, it was like a kind of meet and greet, a big kind of braai with open tables. So they get the understanding of players wanting to engage with um the fans and vice versa and obviously with my players being a heavy partner on this the two of them are partners to create really cool rugby experiences so that is it go on facebook forward slash sorry facebook.com forward slash players choice awards otherwise go to myplayers.co.za it's going to be a really cool event. I'm looking forward to going there and obviously covering some of it and interviewing some of the players so I'll be giving you more details towards that but it's the 12th of December pretty exciting stuff now, there is just a couple more things to kind of get to. There's, of course, Bafana Bafana this week. Now, if you are a Bafana Bafana fan, 
well, things aren't looking particularly good. They're, I mean, it's a little bit Kune. It's such a shame that such a dynamic and trusted leader of this team looks set to be out with a fr- pretty nasty facial injury. Now, he sustained it last week, and uh, it looks like there's a broken bone, a fracture in his face itself. So what that means is that he's going to have to see a specialist, and uh, it's not looking good. So take him away. Even though there are quality players to kind of replace him, for a must-win, I mean, Stuart Baxter said it a while ago, that every single game now in the World Cup qualifiers is going to be treated like a World Cup final. And as terrible as a cliche as that really is, if you are to go into a position like that, you need a real tried and tested, trusted leader. So Kune is someone who's been performing bloody well. Um, but now also another blow is Serrero. He is a player who plays for Ajax Amsterdam. He has withdrawn because he can't be guaranteed first team uh, selection. So it's a bit of a tough one to kind of argue here. I mean, obviously there's two sides to a story. You never entirely know what goes on between a, a coach and his player. On the one side, you look at it and go, well, how can a player ever demand first team selection? He's never bigger than a team, especially at national level. Whereas on the other side of the coin is that you've got a player who's based overseas. He doesn't want to dick around coming back and forth. He's not going to get game time. So you kind of see it from both sides. Either way, it's not ideal because Stuart Baxter would love to have a squad that is going to be as strong as it can be to play take on the might of Senegal. And then Klompo Kukani from the Sundowns, he, of course, uh, instrumental player, really, really big big cog in any team he plays in. He, unfortunately, has a family bereavement. Uh, has been a death in the family, so he is out of selection as well. So there we've got three players that would be nice to have in the mix, essential to have in the mix. Does not look good for Bafana Bafana. But if you are a Bafana Bafana fan, well, let's just say your hopes have probably been stuck at medium for quite some time now. <laughs> I'm not the one who's, you know, it's not doom and gloom from me. That's just the kind of basics around it. Their last match was a good win, though. So it's whole thumbs that they can make it happen because it's nice to think that the Pafana team could somehow play in a World Cup without having to host it. Obviously, the jokes go around that the only chance of Pafana ever playing in a World Cup is if they host it. It happened in 2010. I can't see that happening anytime soon. So they need to deliver on the field. So I mentioned at the start of the show it is the Nedbank Golf Challenge hosted by Gary Player at the Gary Player uh, Country Club this week. So it is one of the final events in the Race to Dubai series on the European Tour and it's also a Rolex series event. It is a big event. The week started off with Gary Player being inducted into SA's Golf Hall of Fame. I can't believe that they didn't open their doors by inducting him in straight away. I thought that would be first order of business. Anyways, on to the tournament itself. So as we know, when it comes down to the European Tour, it's all about the race to Dubai and winning in Dubai. So this is the second last event. We had the WGC uh, in Shanghai. That was what Justin Rose won. So he was kind of nowhere in this whole mix. Nobody was mentioning him in this race to Dubai. He won it. He won the WGC in Shanghai. He then won the Turkish Airlines Open last week. So suddenly he's vaulted himself up to second place. He sadly won't be in uh, Sun City this weekend. So unfortunately, I think the way it's going to go with a lot of players is that they're all going to go to the big money, big, big event, the WGC, the HSBC in uh, in Shanghai. That's always going to be a big event for all the world's top golfers. From their uh, terror attacks pending, I think a lot of guys do prefer to go and play the Turkish Airlines Open and then they kind of take a week off and then play Dubai. It's a bit sad to think that, but I think if the guys are pretty happy with their position in the race to Dubai, they'll rather take a week off than finish strong in Dubai itself. So that is going to be the case for Justin Rose, Sergio Garcia, John Rahm, 
those guys will not be at Sun City this weekend. Obviously, Roy McIlroy as well. He's taken the rest of the year off, and Henrik Stenson, well, he's injured, so he can't play. So if you look at the current race to Dubai standings, Tommy Fleetwood's still at the top there. So he's got a narrow lead over Justin Rose. He will be there this week. Tyrrell Hatton, he's in fifth. He will be there this week. So if you're looking at the winners for Race to Dubai, it's kind of got to be there. I mean, Alex Noren is down at eighth. Uh, he's far too far away. Uh, Hatton himself is too far away. I would imagine that it's going to be between the top three on this list, of which Fleetwood's the only one in Sun City. So if he has a really good running here, it's going to be fundamental for his, his chance of winning, I believe, because Rose is in great form right now. He really is. Fleetwood has gone, well, I wouldn't say he's plateaued, that maybe is a bit harsh, but um, all the form is with Rose. And of course, Sergio won his last game out as well, so good for him. To look at the betting odds for the weekend, if you are into betting, backing some winners for the week, Tyrrell Hatton, who is outside of Fleetwood, the highest on this order of, of merit kind of thing right now, he is the bookie's favorite to win at Sun City. Brandon Grace is second odds on favorites. Third is Louis Oosthuizen. Then we've got Francesca Molinari, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Ross Fisher, Tommy Fleetwood, Rafael Cabrera-Bello, Alex Noren, Shane Lowry, Charles Swartzel. So if you look at the top odds, this is still a very, very good field. Peter Uline, he's also here. He's been on the European Tour for quite some time now. He is seen as a real prospect for the American um for the American Ryder Cup team in the next couple of years. So he's finally got his card on the US PGA Tour. So this is his last kind of big bash towards uh European glory. Thorbjorn Ollison, he's also going to be in the mix, as is Eddie Pepperell, who's in good form right now. George Kutsia, Ian Poult is playing, Chris Wood is playing, these all big players. Lee West was in the field as well, as is Nicholas Kolsart's in good form right now. Also that big hitting, he's a big hitting Belgian who's a great crowd favorite. Uh, Dylan Fratelli, well, he finished second last week in Turkey, so, I can go through this list. Martin Keim is also going to be there. So if you go through to Sun City this weekend, there are still many, many players to draw a crowd. Podrick Harrington, he's a multiple major winner as well. It really is going to be quite something. Nine South Africans in total. Uh, another guy to watch out for is Ryan Fox. He is a real big hitting guy. He's the son of Grant Fox. He's a, he's a big draw card. Thomas Bjorn, uh, Ryder Cup captain. He's also going to be in the mix. So it's going to be a big event. Course-wise, well, it hasn't rained as much as it has in previous years. So people expect the Gary Play Country Club to obviously be a massive test. And a lot of it's got to do with the fact that rough is just thick and uncompromising. So it might not be as severe because they haven't had the rains like they have had, but the greens are going to be perfect. I mean, the, the players have been talking about the condition. My only concern about this event is the bunkers. Now, I played uh, in one of the last round events there. Uh, towards the end of last month. And I think it's about time these bunkers were overhauled. Um, you know, in, in previous years, I mean, if you talk to some people, they would have believed that, or some parts believe that these bunkers are long overdue for an overhaul. And the Nidbank in the past with select fields, you know, you don't go into a lot of the bunkers because they've been such small fields. But now with it being a huge normal field event, you're going to get players all over the place. Um, not because the player quality is necessarily worse, it's just that obviously there's more players. It's going to happen. Um, so I think you need to get some interesting comments coming from the pros around the bunkers. They're not, they, they don't have a lot of sand in, but as simple as that. So it's going to be very difficult. They're going to be big hazards this week. But, you know, as I say in golf, um, and I firmly believe this is that if the conditions are the same for everybody, well, then there's no real point to bitch because if everyone's got to play the same golf course, 
the whole thing about being a golfer is that you need to beat other people who are doing the same thing as you. Simple as that. So it's a great course. It's a great location. It is one of the world's great golf events. And I'm not just saying it because it is in South Africa, but it's been going since 1981. This event has huge amounts of heritage. And although it's changed over the years and perhaps lost a lot of its luster because the rest of the tournaments around the world caught up with them. You know, just think, it was the first event to offer a million dollars for quite some time. You know, there was a long, long time until the money started catching up with this event. So it was a huge draw card. I mean, one year, I think Ernie Els won two million. I think it was one or two years that they'd actually doubled the prize check. So it's a big event and, um, you know, congrats to Nedbank for being so, so true to this event. You know, if you look at South African sport nowadays, sponsors aren't exactly running at, at the prospect of backing a sporting event and without the sporting events well we're pretty screwed especially the pro sports stars especially the golfers speaking of sponsorship another big story from the week was that ram has come back to the party for cricket south africa so you know the ram slam t20 well it was horribly shamed through match fixing allegations and um good on Bodhi doing what he did and other players getting kind of you know linked to all this kind of nefarious activity Ram pulled out that no want anything to do with it. It then became just the CSA T20. It was meant to be the global international big T20 bonanza, but that fell through unfortunately as well. So it's such a shame to know a country as as big as South Africa cricket wise and as rich player talent as cricket as South Africa is that we can't have a decent T20 league. When you think of what England do, India do, Australia do, what the West Indies do, what Pakistan has, what Bangladesh has. South Africa is behind all of those countries, and it really is a big shame. So Ram coming back to the party, good on them. You've got to applaud such a, such commitment because even though it is a corporate venture, it's definitely giving a lot more to the fans. And with Ram, they are really giving it tangible to the fans because if you catch a six during one of these matches and it's televised and you manage to catch a six with one hand, you can win your share of 2 million rand, which is still great than any money right now. So obviously the more people that catch the ball with one hand, the less chance you've got of actually you know, getting a lot of money. But if 10 guys catch the ball, well, you work it out. So you can still make a lot of money, which is really, really cool. So that's um, yeah, that's kind of the, the big stories for the week. I mean, obviously everyone's going to focus on England right now and the fact that well, their Ashes hopes are getting slimmer and slimmer. Mitchell Stark, he took two hat-tricks in one match in a Sheffield Shield match, so he's in great form. Uh, but of bowlers from the English side, well, Ben Stokes, no one knows he was going to be there still. It's looking highly unlikely. But now Finn has had to re- withdraw with a knee injury. He's completely gone from the attack. So much pressure is going to be on Broad and Anderson. And whether they can do the business overseas, well, remains to be seen, especially in the case of Anderson. Really, really not looking good. But if you follow Dennis, our, our, our mate Dennis from Australia, who told us all about his Pakistan trip last week, he'll be able to give you some more insights around that. Other than that, um, that's pretty much it for sport-wise. I was in Franschuk this last weekend for the Pink Polo at Val de V. What an incredible event that was. And uh, if you go onto the, my YouTube channel at Follow the Bounce, you'll see I took the drone out around the Pearl Valley Golf Course, which at sunrise, at any stage of the day actually, is such an amazing place to be. Um, so I'm going to try to take some more sunrise kind of drone um, efforts around golf courses around the country. And uh, speaking of the Gary Player um, country club and Sun City in general, I've been invited to the Gary Player Invitational 
for first time in quite a while, actually. I don't know how I cracked the knot here, but maybe I'm doing something good, I guess. So I'll be going to that towards the end of November. I'll be getting huge amounts of content from that, so I'm massively excited. And I'll do some more drone stuff around the Lost City course, which is where it's being played. But it's a really cool event. So, you know, it's it's golf for good. It really is. Gary and his team, they raise a whole bunch of money, and they do it all around the world. So to be a part of that is a huge privilege for me, and I'm really looking forward to it. So I'll get some cool interviews for you. And it really is going to be a nice way to end the year going into December. So that's pretty much it for this week. A little bit of a shorter show this week. Bok Rugby, 7.30 SA time. That's something to look out for this weekend. It's going to be a real big deal. If you are more in towards the football, well, Bafana Bafana. Again, I'm quite nervous to talk about it because my hopes are, well, let's just say they're medium at best along with other people. It would be really great to see them do the impossible against Senegal. This, of course, is the match they need to replay after all that sort of skullduggery with the ref, and then he goes fired, was banned for life from rugby because uh, Bafana Bafana's victory there was seen as well. It just wasn't, it just wasn't decent at all. There were a lot of dodgy decisions going on there. But just getting back to the rugby, of course, there's a whole bunch of international fixtures to look out for this weekend. Every all, all the big teams are at it. Um, so Saturday, the 11th of November. Starting off with Georgia versus Canada at 4 o'clock. All these times, South African times. We've got Italy versus Fiji at 4. Then we've got Scotland versus Samoa at uh, 4.30. England versus Argentina at Twickenham 5. Big match there. Then we've got Wales versus Australia after that quarter past 7. Ireland taking on SA in Dublin at 7.30. And then France versus New Zealand, quarter to 10. Obviously, only one winner there, but a France-New Zealand match is always something to look out for. It's always lots of fun to watch. Always very intense. And, uh, yeah, so the golf starting, well, it's on already, 9 o'clock Thursday afternoon, South African time. The, the US PGA Tour will be in Mexico, but let's stick it to the golf. Let's all support the incredible Nedbank Golf Challenge. And next week, I'll tell you all about it and a whole bunch of other things. Thanks so much for joining me. Follow me on Twitter at follow the bounce. Otherwise, do the same on YouTube and then The Bounce on Instagram. Catch you back next week. Thanks for joining me. But the greatest story to me is Gary Player. Gary Player was a golfer, a great golfer. One of the great golfers of all time. And he was, they used to say he's diminutive. He was small. He worked harder than any human being. He worked harder than any other golfer. But he was a small guy. And he, but he hit it good. He hit it far. Great, great golfer. Everybody's heard of Gary Player from South Africa. Still a great guy. He's always kept himself in shape. I saw him the other day. He's like 80 years old. He's phenomenal. He still looks like he did 20 years ago. But Gary Player worked hard. And he was the first time, maybe I've heard it again, but he was the one, the harder I work, the luckier I get. That was Gary Player. He worked so hard. And they'd say to him, he'd win the U.S. Open, and they say, where are you going tonight? I'm going to practice. I mean, he just won a tournament, and he's going to practice. And I have seen people that work really, really hard. They create to a certain extent, because I do believe there could be something with the whole luck thing. But there are people that work hard. Remember that expression, the harder I work, the luckier I get. The harder he worked, he got stronger, stronger, longer, longer. He practiced putting, he practiced chipping. The guy was unbelievable. He won 18 majors, senior and regular. He won like 175 tournaments worldwide, which I think is the record. But he was a hard worker. And he used to say, they'd ask, how do you do this? How, do you, how are you so successful? He says, well, you know... The harder I work, the luckier I get. And I just think it's a great thing for all of the young people out here and the older people. Hey, I'm still working just as hard. I think I work hard. I think I'm working harder in the last eight months than I've ever worked before in my life. Believe me. But I enjoy it. 
You have to really work. The harder you work, remember, the harder you work, the luckier you get. So just remember those few little things. Momentum, love what you do, always love what you do. Cliffcentral.com.